watch out for those weirdos. <laughs> we are the weirdos, mister. Hey. Can you hear me? Yeah. (laughs) All right. You want me to jump right in? Yep. All right. This is from the True Ghost Stories Archive, Volume 15, by Elizabeth Bush. And it's a whole series of books um, from accounts off an early website back in the early 2000s. So it's a lot of accounts and a lot of books. Oh, sounds great. Great. In January of 2005, I moved in with my then boyfriend into his home in Albemarle County. It was this little house set far from the main road on a dirt and gravel path surrounded by woods. It was a it was quite a peaceful place, and I like to go exploring down the many other dirt roads that branched off from ours. Now I need to explain that I am rather insomniatic and I like it that way. I find I get some of my best inspiration at two in the morning. So when I can't get to sleep, I put on running shorts, sneakers and a hoodie and just go running until either I feel like I could sleep or an idea for a poem or story strikes me. At the time of this occurrence, the two of us had been having some problems. I had been throwing myself into our relationship with passion and love and receiving little in return. All right, sorry. The night in question, we had had a row just before I left for my night shift at work. He had told me I didn't have enough talent to be a professional actor, but he did, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Needless to say, I left in a very bad mood. Anyway, I was driving home from work and had come to the conclusion that I didn't want to face the silence and coldness of the house just yet. It was about 1130 at this point, and I was almost there when I decided I would pull off the side of the road and go running. I crawled into the back seat of my car to change, locked my doors, and stuffed my keys in the pocket of my hoodie. I took off with a sprint to clear my head, not really noticing where I was going, knowing that I would find my way back. I just ran and ran until I saw a small wrought iron gate, obviously old, and stopped to see where it led. It was a small burial plot with only two graves, Mr. Richard and Miss Elizabeth Saunders. With death dates just one year apart, exactly one year apart, um, June 23rd, 1862, Richard, and June 23rd, 1863, Elizabeth. 
loving husband and loving wife. I was overwhelmed by a sense of love and peace. I said a silent prayer that they rest in peace before I continued on my way. Further down the road, I started feeling uneasy, but I kept running anyway, intent on clearing my thoughts and getting rid of my anger at my boyfriend. I soon discovered there were two Luna moths on either side of the path, matching my pace and staying directly behind me. At the time, I thought nothing of it, but as I continued further, my unease increased and the moths flew closer to me. My path, which had a canopy of treetops hovering over it, with the moonlight shining down, making little pebbles in the dirt sparkle like glass, suddenly started turning dark. I figured the moon had simply slipped behind a cloud and continued down the road. My moth started flying even closer, now just a hair's breadth from my shoulders and they seemed to shudder with every step I took closer to whatever was down there. I thought I heard a soft feminine voice pleading with me to turn back. Once more, I chalked it up to my writer's imagination and kept going. I soon spotted a dark figure lurking further down the path and heard a raspy whisper calling me forward, calling me precious and pretty. I stopped and stared. It was shaped sort of like a man, though there was something just not right about it. Not only in the sudden presence of danger, but something wrong with his shape, though I couldn't place exactly what it was. The moths were now hovering by my shoulders, wings beating frantically, and again I heard the woman's voice, this time warning me to run. This time I did heed her advice and turned and sprinted as fast as I could back to my car. As soon as I passed the Saunders burial plot, the moths disappeared along with the voice. I don't know what waited for me at the end of that path, nor do I want to know. I do know that I don't ever go further down it than the Saunders plot which even though my boyfriend and I are no longer together and I live in Charlottesville, has become a frequent haunt of my midnight jogs. Forgive the pun, I go there when I need to get something off my chest, when I need to talk things out. But every once in a while when I'm asked about whatever has brought me there, I find that there are two lunar moths perched on the wrought iron gate waiting for me. Isn't that cool? Oh, wow. <laughs> that's a go and that's North Carolina right yeah 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 close by oh shit we'll send yeah. you to the Saunders plot yeah. <laughs> <laughs> find a grave yeah <laughs> okay um here's one from the uh fairy census edited by Simon Young mm-hmm. um Accounts were two, from 2014 to 2017. Okay. And this is um, from Illinois. I was around 20 years old in 1991 to 1992. I knew someone who was a practitioner of ceremonial magic. The person told me that the Fey realm was real and I had my doubts. 
when we went to so-and-so, it's marked out, in Illinois, it happened to be near a full moon for Beltane Eve, and he said a fae were, he said fae were there, and that he could show me he spoke the truth. Mm -hmm. We took bread and sweet grape juice offerings. He spoke Hebrew and said that he was opening a portal. He did this at twilight sunset. We were the only one, we were the only two there, and as the moon rose, the area changed. A mm -hmm. lush green hedge like archway was there. Bushes and tree leaves looked silver or gold, and the landscape changed into the most beautiful I had ever seen. Mm -hmm. The fae were around human size and slept in the trees as we wandered in awe. It was mm -hmm. hours we were there, but it felt like only a few moments. It ended by just vanishing. The person I was with said something was wrong. The area is known as a hotbed for paranormal activity. And I heard a ripping sound. And then I saw three tall, gangly, human-like black shadows. Mm. I was told to run and I ran as fast as I could out of there. That's my experience. We were not under the influence of any intoxicants such as alcohol either. It was the mm -hmm. most amazing and scary experience I have ever had. From four feet, 11 inches up, human-like were the thing. I, um, I think it's inter interesting how she said there was like a ripping sound. Right. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, That's true. <laughs> and it just disappeared and the ripple sound. Yep, and the time distortion. Yeah. Yep. And then the dark figures. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. All right, this one is uh, October 2003. This is a true story that happened to a member of my husband's family many years ago. Ray Lansford was a single handsome man, just 20 years old. When he had an experience that he did not take seriously, but should have, for he might not have died so young had he done so. Ray worked for a plant in Middlesbrough, Kentucky that assembled mobile, mobile homes back in the late 1950s. He worked until about 5 p.m. Then made a habit of running over to Tennessee, just a mile from the Kentucky state border to pick up whiskey, illegal in dry Bell County, Kentucky. And would hang around bars and nightclubs until all hours of the night. <clears throat> Walk back home to Pinesville, Kentucky, just over the hill from Middlesboro. He used the best known shortcut that took him up the side of the mountain past an old graveyard that was flanked by dense woods all around. A narrow dirt road ran alongside the fenced-in cemetery on the east side with trees and tangled foliage to its right. And Ray always hummed a religious tune every night as he walked north on the road on his way home. One night, while quite drunk and staggering down the road next to the cemetery, he noticed a purple light seemingly floating above an old grave with a heavy sunken headstone 
that leans somewhat to the right to the side. He stopped walking and stared at the light in fright, then shook himself. It had to be some sort of flashlight. And he told himself someone very much alive was walking among the graves and had just decided to scare him when they saw him approaching. After brushing off his fear with his logic, he continued on his way down the road. To his amazement, the light floated up to just inside the fence. It was about the size of a baseball and hovered in the air before him at eye level. He could see no person behind it, nor anything the light may be emitting from. Shaking in fear, he began running down the road as fast as his drunken condition would allow. <laughs> the light moved along with him, keeping just inside the fence. Heart pounding, Ray prayed for the ability to escape it. As he entered the woods on the northern side of the cemetery, he glanced back and saw that the light had stopped at the corner of the fence, not leaving the graveyard. He kept glancing back for as long as he could see the light, and it never moved from its stationary spot. Soon he was far enough inside the woods that he could no longer see the light, but kept a quick pace until he merged into the clearing where his parents' home stood. Racing inside the house, he was quite visibly frightened, and his mother jumped up from her rocking chair and came over quickly to his side, asking what had frightened him. His father came down from the kitchen just in time to hear the story he was telling his mother. The old man chuckled and told him his alcohol-soaked brain was making him see things. <laughs> <laughs> Ray, however, was quite adamant about what he saw. Well, come home right after work if you don't want to meet up with it again, his mother admonished him. The next morning was a bright, clear summer day. And as Ray passed the cemetery on his way to work, he glanced all around the headstones, feeling uneasy even in the brightness of day. He saw nothing unusual and began to believe his father's opinion of his experience. For some reason, though, he decided to see whose grave it was that the light had been hovering over when he first saw it the night before. To his surprise, it was the grave of his great-grandfather who had died more than 50 years earlier. Oh, wow. Yeah. Ray began to believe, again, that he truly saw the light. He had never been to visit his great-grandfather's grave at all before that time and wondered if there was some significance to where the light had first appeared. He left the cemetery and continued his walk to work, hoping once more that his father's opinion was the correct one. While the hours passed, he worked hard and was able to put the incident completely out of his mind. By the end of the work shift, he had successfully dismissed the sighting as nothing more than a figment of his imagination. Enough so to go back to Tennessee for another evening of drinking and dancing. <laughs> it, was about, it was about midnight when Ray finally started for the home. When he reached the dirt road, he began to feel uneasy again and began his habit of humming a religious tune. Midway down the road, he saw a brightness out of the corner of his, of his eye. He turned quickly and saw the purple light once more floating above his great-grandfather's grave. 
Ray was not as drunk as usual and ran the wet rest of the way down the road. He glanced back to see the light at the corner of the graveyard as he re-entered the woods. Upon reaching home, he told his parents of seeing the light once more and whose grave it hovered above when, he when it first appeared. His parents glanced at one another but said nothing. They still could not br bring themselves to believe what he had told them. About two weeks later, when we walked outside the nightclub one night, he was shot by a jealous boyfriend of the girl <laughs> who had been dancing with all evening. He died instantly. A few weeks later, his parents instructed the workers to reset the leaning gravestone that now sat alongside that of Ray's. Was Ray's great-grandfather trying to warn him of what his actions were going to result in? Who knows? However, I'm sure that Ray could provide an answer to that question. A purple light. Wow, that's good. Yeah, and grab it, that one because you just don't hear purple light. No, you don't. It, I, I'd love to see... Um, um, the um the other accounts that are were considered omens uh, uh we should take note of the color the cut yes and see yeah yeah because i haven't i haven't heard purple not purple i haven't heard purple yeah now i'll be looking for purple <laughs> well, yeah well it's it's funny you um um brought that up because earlier today I was reading Bigfoot accounts and it was, uh, I was really focusing on, um, one piece of, um, how the native American tribe, I forget, maybe it was Navajo and they just, um, they consider Bigfoot a death omen. Uh -huh. Like if you see it, oh, okay, somebody's going to die or you're going to die, you know? That's interesting. Yeah. That is interesting, huh? That's a good not, one. <laughs> that's not one you hear about. That's not what you think about when you think about Bigfoot. So right. That's interesting. Right. But you want to look at it that way when you're reading some of the. Right. But to them, it's just that's what it is, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I like that one. All right, here's one from uh, Albert Rosales, um, Humanoid Database. Uh -huh. And this is um, Mexico, May 15th, 1967, at 11 p.m. After an amateur astronomy club meeting, the witness, Benito Hamburgo Valenzuela, returned to his home where there appeared a colossal man at least nine feet tall who pulled up a large piece of wood and sat down on it. Mm. The man had large blue eyes, red hair, and very large ears. Mm. He wore a tight-fitting red coverall-like garment with short sleeves, bracelets on both arms, and boots. On his chest was an, an insignia of white dots and on his head, a white cap that looked nickel plated mm. from a wide belt hung a small box with a little antenna. 
He greeted Hamburgo in slightly accented Spanish, introducing himself as Werkel, chief of the guard, and answered Benito's questions, anticipating them before the witness actually phrased them. Mm-hmm. He said he was from a very distant region and that they were an advanced race. Concerned over the misuse of atomic energy. Mm-hmm. When he left, he refused to shake hands, explaining that contact with him would aggravate Benito's cardiac condition. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And once again, we have a belt. I well. As we went into it, I was like, okay, we're there's the fashion, like there's the belt and and the silver suit. (laughs) There's a whole fashion book. We got it. Yeah. With the antenna in this belt. Yeah. Interesting. Um, this isn't from a book. I just had to look this up to because I wanted to tell you about this because I heard it on something like TV or I don't know. It heard it on tv youtube something i was like oh what's that um right uh this is the tar river banshee in north carolina oh good the tar river banshee haunted an area outside the city of tarboro that legend explains that a man named dave warner came to the area and opened a mill on the tar river During the Revolutionary War, he was attacked and drowned by British troops who were unhappy with his anti-British activities, including supplying the new U.S. militia. Upon his death in August 1781, the Banshee appeared and scared off his attackers. She then stayed to prowl the banks of the Tar River and visitors, especially in August, hear and see this wailing spirit. Now oh. we'll have to send you to the Tar River. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she wow. Tar I've River. never heard that one. I know. I had no clue. What's this? <laughs> What's this? And then um, I pulled this from a book, um, 1887 book, Ancient legends mystic charms and superstitions of ireland by lady wild yeah um okay we're told that the irish banshee was more likely to be beautiful while the scottish banshee was more likely to appear in the image of an older crone like woman like most things in celtic lore however this wasn't always consistent the banshee was usually worn of death by wailing, appearing as an apparition, playing or singing music, tapping on a window in the form of a crow, be seen washing body parts or armor at a stream, knocking at the door, whispering a name, or by speaking through a person that had, that she had already possessed, um, like a, a host or a medium. Yeah. And noble families of Ireland generally viewed the spirit's attendance as a great honor. And some sources do say that the Banshee served certain families. So I thought that was interesting. Oh, wow. So I wonder if the Tar River Banshee is like, I don't know, um, 
was part, you know, protecting him was part of, like, he carried it with him, you know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah, we'll have to look into that more. Do you know where the Tar River is? (laughs) Yeah, oh, yeah. Do you? Well, I know where Tarboro is. Okay, there you go. (laughs) Road trip. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, you got to find the Saunders gravesite first. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm writing it down. (laughs) Okay, here's another one from uh, Albert Rosales database. This is uh, Pamlico County, North Carolina, July 21st, 1967, time afternoon. 14-year-old Ronnie Hill was playing in the garden when he noticed a strange odor in the air. His eyes began to tear. He then saw a spherical object about three meters in diameter descend from the sky and land in a field nearby. Thinking that nobody would believe him, he ran inside his his home and obtained a small Kodak camera. Once outside, he saw a small figure emerging from behind the object. The figure was about one and a quarter meters in height. It wore a tight-fitting silvery suit, and it carried a black object in its hand, which the figure inserted into the ground. He then returned to the object, which took off into the sky at high speed. The odor was described as resembling propane gas. Hill Mm. also noticed a total lack of sound during the encounter. A controversial photograph of the humanoid was reportedly taken, and I could not find a photograph. Oh, that would be crazy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But... um, yeah, we've been seeing that one a lot lately with the silver suits, especially yeah. in the 60s. Yeah, and then mm-hmm. when they're like cast in the ground and stuff. And, and then it always yeah. makes me think like it's the future us after we're all shriveled up. And <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're all taking like soul samples, you know. Yeah, we have to go back in time and figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> Fix the dirt. Yeah. But we have great passion and silver yeah. suits. so we recorded like wow like uh, nothing (laughs) new technical difficulties yeah right and i do have a shout out um my recommendation for my continued uh recommendate uh recommending uh, audio drama podcasts is fairy and it's on spotify oh wow i know some people who listen to audio dramas are probably like that one's been out for a while lisa like (laughs) yeah but that one's only on spotify so i came to spotify kind of late and so i just was like oh yeah this one like i haven't why is it called fairy oh because it's about fairies oh okay it's about you know and I want to say to anybody who either, well, if they already listen, they know, but anybody who's like wants to give it a try, like audio dramas, the podcast audio dramas, yeah. um, the, the company that makes this one, um, Minute Beats Whale, 
all of theirs are good. All. Oh, cool. Yeah, the Black Tapes, Tannis, Rabbits, the last movie, all of it's good. And they do a really good job of like making characters and the storylines exciting and it sounds good. And and the storyline's always um, paranormal. Yeah. And it's always like chock full of like actual things, you know, like, you know what I mean? Stuff from history, just like real stuff. Yeah. So it's really good. But yeah, fairies, it's, and there's all these different kinds. It's really interesting. It's a good one. Oh, good. Yep. I have no shout outs this week. What? <laughs> no shout outs. Yeah. But he loves all of you. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. (laughs) And and you might go to the Bigfoot thing, right? Oh, I'm totally going. Yeah, I can't wait. (laughs) I have family coming. It's close to you, though, right? Not too far. Not too far. Oh, yeah. 45 minutes. And I want lots of pictures. Will you send me lots of pictures? Oh yeah, totally. I'll uh, <laughs> I'll uh, uh, take some video and audio too. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I'll get you something. Oh. <laughs> All right. Cool. You want to wrap it up? Yeah. I just can't believe we have any technical difficulties. I know. <laughs> We're like speeding through. The people are like, why are they speeding through? (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll be back next week. Take care. Bye. Last night, heard the neighbors talking about you They said you were the sweetest thing in town Well, that's what we all thought at the beginning Until I saw the dark side of your face The moment that we met and I first saw you I thought my luck had really changed for good But then your evil ways, they started showing I'd slowly seen the dark side of your face You know it's lonely seeing the dark side of your face